AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Converse. Not just Chuck Taylors, but certainly best known for them. These all-stars were once the U.S. ideal of athletic shoe. But after close to 50 years of success, these kicks seemed like they might kick the bucket. Find out how Chucks chucked the label of athletic shoe and strolled their way back into prominence. This is Converse on the Brink. Hey, everybody. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. And we're going to talk about shoes today. Yes. Talking about Converse. I learned a whole lot about this company as we were doing research. And uh, boy, howdy. There were a few brink moments in the history of this company. There certainly were. But before we get to those, I'm going to say that I fell in love with Converse Way back when Punky Brewster first came out. Uh Uh-huh. So was it like right around the time she got stuck in that refrigerator? Hey, listen, you. Um, But I never owned enough Converse, and I do own a pair currently, to be able to wear two mismatched ones. Right. I I have owned Converse in the past. I remember some some Converse high tops back in the day. But it has uh, been a while since I've yes. owned any. But those those were very prominent shoes for a while. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, the company has had a pretty rocky history. And uh, it once they found their footing, things were going pretty darn well for a while. <laughs> found <laughs> I, their footing. There's going to be a lot see of those. what you did there. It's not, it wasn't on purpose, but it'll happen. But as it turns out, there were quite a few times where things could have gone very poorly and— um, it's actually kind of miraculous that they're still around in some ways. It is. It so, is. So let's talk about the founding of the company. Give a quick rundown of its history leading up to the true brink moment, which uh, which will happen a little later in this episode than we typically do. But it's because 
there was a lot of interesting yeah. stuff that happened leading up to yeah, it. I feel like we kind of can't skip the stuff leading up to it. So yeah. to start off, uh, and don't worry, we will not go every single year from the time they started their company in 1908, Yeah, but we will hit some key points. So Converse started in 1908 as the Converse Rubber Shoe Company. It was started in Malden, Massachusetts by Marquis Mills Converse. What a name. Yes. Marquis Mills Converse. Well, he, he was either going to do shoes or General Mills cereal. So. <laughs> yeah, but no, he he uh, started off by working in a footwear manufacturing firm. He rose to the level of manager there before he decided to found his own company. And he was able to secure a capital investment of $250,000. And I went ahead and did the conversion because I was curious if it's a quarter of a million dollars in 1908, how much would it be? And it'd be nearly $7 million today. Jeez Louise. That's a pretty hefty investment. That is, especially since when they started, they were only making shoes seasonally. So yeah. they were mainly making rubber work shoes and galoshes and winterized rubber soles and things like that, which meant they weren't keeping their company open year round. They weren't keeping their staff year round. Right. And then they eventually realized that, hey, if we are able to make more use out of our facility, then it'll pay itself off faster, mm -hmm. right? It, it's sort of the same argument that Walt Disney had when he was looking at different places to put the first theme park, the first Disney amusement park, mm -hmm. because he wanted to eventually find a place that would be able to be open year-round and not just be seasonal, because otherwise, for like half the year, your your investment isn't doing anything. Yeah, yeah. So he starts thinking about ways that Perhaps they can uh, diversify, not just do, you know, galoshes. Yeah, so they look at other shoes that need rubber soles, and that turns out to be athletic shoes. Yeah, and it's uh, funny because I, I like that you have here, netball was one of the types netball. of shoes. That's sort of a, a precursor to basketball. Yes, and tennis and uh, football, but I'm not sure if that was... Soccer. Soccer or American, or American, American football. football. There were sh basketball shoes at the time, but Spalding mainly had that market. So uh, some people will point to Converse and call it like the first basketball shoe company, which is not entirely accurate. Mm -hmm. They were not the first, but they would become inextricably paired yes. with basketball as it turns yes. out. And basketball was starting to gain popularity right around this time. It had only recently been invented. It was a, a pretty new sport. And uh, as it was getting more popular, Converse, they, he said, you know, we should probably make a shoe that's specifically tailored for that kind of sport. And so they did a lot of research. And in 1917, they came out with the Converse All-Star Basketball Shoe. Yeah, that is their famous shoe brand. And the first shoe was very sexy. Mm -hmm. uh, it was brown with black trim. Yeah. yeah. Woo. But uh, but they ended up increasing the options you could have pretty shortly, right? Yes, they did. By the 1920s, you could also get black canvas and leather versions. So this would become the first mass-produced basketball mm -hmm. shoe in North America, whereas Spalding had been doing these in kind of smaller batches. Converse was getting ready to do them in larger numbers. And it took a little while for the shoes to start getting mm -hmm. gaining popularity. But uh, after a while, you could say it was a runaway success. Oh, goodness, Jonathan. By 1920, they were selling about 20,000 pairs a day. That's a lot. Yes, that is a lot of shoes. <laughs> and uh, then we get the famous name Chuck Taylor. Chuck yes. Taylor was an actual person. He was. Uh, he was a famous basketball player. 
And in 1921, he decided he liked the shoes so much that he wanted a job with Converse. It's kind of funny because I've read different stories involving the way he joined the company. Mm And some it's like he wanted to visit this company after trying their shoes. He had played for, for teams, storied teams, historic teams like the Buffalo Germans. And the... Akron Firestones. In the Akron Firestones. In some of the versions of the story, I read he walked in to complain about how his feet hurt. And huh. so then Interesting. They, but then the the company offered him a job of being a sort of marketing guy and salesman, and he picked up on it. And as it turns out, Chuck Taylor was a heck of a salesman. He would travel around the country hosting basketball clinics and and pushing the shoes. He drove around in a white Cadillac, and his trunk was full of Converse All-Stars. And it was kind of neat because he would hold these sort of basketball clinics, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, these almost exhibitions. And they were incredibly popular. So they would get big crowds to watch these pickup games or what appeared to be pickup games. And the whole time, he's talking about how the shoes are really helping with performance. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, where the implication is, if you want to be a really good player, then you just need a pair of these shoes. And mm-hmm. that's that's what you need to complete your abilities. And that marketing message worked like gangbusters. It did. He also, at the time, was helping fine-tune the shoes so that they had better performance. Now, part of the problem Converse ran into early on, the company, not mm-hmm. the man, but the company, was that it was growing very quickly at this point. And We've seen this happen a few times with different companies where they grow so fast that they don't build out the support structure to maintain that growth. And it just gets out of control. That was starting to happen to Converse. And in 1929, they actually went into bankruptcy. So this could have been our brink moment here that they went bankrupt just a few years after being founded. At that time, the president of a rival rubber company named Mitchell B. Kaufman, that is the president, not the name of the rubber company, came in and he took control of Converse since it was bankrupt at that point. But he passed away in 1930. So one year after he buys the company, he dies. And Albert Wexler was the sort of the executor of the estate. Mm-hmm. And so he oversaw the care of the company for the time being. So Marquis is out. Wexler's overseeing the company. Chuck Taylor, still very much a part of the company. So much, in fact, that in 1932, they added his name to the little supportive ankle patch. Yes. On the high tops. Um, they're not on the low tops. Uh, <laughs> and they put his name around the all-star And they also added ventilation eyelets that year, but I don't think that was in honor of Chuck Taylor. No, but that's where we started referring to Converse shoes as Chuck Chuck Taylor's. Yeah. In 1933, you had the Stone family move in. So one of the other elements you're going to hear a lot about in this podcast is how Converse was traded around a lot. Like there were a lot of different entities that owned Converse, but one group that owned it for a really long time was the Stone family. It was Joseph Harry K. and Dewey D. Stone. They bought the Converse Rubber Company and they would hold on to it for 39 years. When they were done, like when they got out of it, it was Joseph's son, Stephen Stone, who was in charge of the company. And under the Stones, Converse would see its greatest success. It would see its its biggest climb in the domination of Mm -hmm. the athletic shoe market in the United States. And most of that 
was due to Chuck Taylor's brilliant marketing, holding those basketball clinics and convincing all those kids, you got to have a pair of these shoes. Yeah. So uh, after the Stones take over Converse, In 1936, they come out with a white high-top version of the shoe, which became the official Olympic basketball team shoe. And it was the first year that basketball was in the Olympics, I believe. Yeah, and the U.S. team were wearing Converse. Mm -hmm. And they took the gold. Uh, And the Converse had little red and blue trim on it. So I would imagine that that could not have been uh, bad marketing. No, not at all. (laughs) Be an Olympic winner. Buy our shoes. And then beyond that, in World War II, Chuck Taylor served as an Air Force captain And when he was there, he was coaching basketball for the teams and the troops Mm -hmm. and pushing the shoes. And so the shoes became the official shoe of the U.S. Armed Forces, official sneaker. And we've talked about in the past how companies were able to to survive by landing lucrative military contracts. Harley-Davidson was like that as well. So then we get the black and white high top in 1949 which was one of those shoes that people just associate with Converse. It's yes. one of those that really kind of defined the look. It was really starting to become, I guess saying starting to become is the wrong way of putting it. It had established itself as the dominant athletic shoe at that point. Yeah, basketball teams are starting to incorporate them as a part of the uniform. Mm-hmm. In 1957, there was a low-top Oxford version that came out. And by that time, Converse had 80% of the market share. And then by 1960s, the basketball teams were asking for matching colors to their uniforms for their shoes. Then uh, in the late 60s, you had a pair of things happen, one great and one bad. Uh, the great one was that uh, Chuck was invited into the Basketball Hall of Fame for being an ambassador of basketball. But then the following year in 1969, he passed away. Mm-hmm. This is sort of where Converse had hit a peak, and then it was going to struggle shortly thereafter. Though we're not quite at the point that I would call the real brink yet. We're, We're still going to get to that. No, but we're getting to the decline. This is a good point before we start that precipitous drop, that we take a break and thank our sponsor. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Okay, so now we're hitting the 1970s and a lot of rival sneaker companies are coming out. Running is becoming increasingly more popular. And so all of these other companies are trying to compete with Converse and they're doing so by making more specialized shoes for running, adding more technology, things like pumps and springs and cushions into their shoes. You've got Nike and Adidas and Puma who are all starting to edge in on Converse's market share. And then later you would get another company like Reebok Mm -hmm. also joining in that I I remember this era. I remember the era of ridiculous, like, gimmicks with shoes that were supposed to make things, like, high-performance shoes. It was a pretty long era. It went well into the 80s Well into the 80s. Yeah, no, I remember the pump pump Mm -hmm. shoes where you would pump up the air in your shoes to give you that big bounce. And uh, to the point where all the kids in school when I was going to school were convinced that if you pumped them up enough, you would just explode yourself off into the stratosphere. Which I I never actually managed to do. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll I'll fly one day. Well, these ridiculously technological shoes were really comfortable. And so people started wearing them also as their casual shoes. Mm -hmm. And while all these other shoe companies are trying to make the latest and greatest to appeal to all of these runners and and this new market that's growing, Converse just said, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And meanwhile you started to see the core audience for Converse, the core customers for Converse, start to drift away from the brand. You started to see basketball players who previously, like Converse was the shoe for basketball. Yeah. You started seeing them branch out and wear different shoes or sign, you know, lucrative marketing agreements. Like, like Michael Jordan with Air Jordans. Yeah, and so you started seeing the migration away from Converse. Now, Converse did expand their shoe line a little bit. Mm -hmm. They bought the trademark to Jack Purcell sneakers, which are badminton sneakers. They bought them from BF Goodrich. Mm -hmm. And they also, despite the fact that they're starting to lose their market share, were continuing to try to manufacture. So they opened a manufacturing point in Lumberton, North Carolina, and a distribution center in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then in 1972, the Stone family, who had been holding on to the company for almost 40 years, sold Converse. And at that time, Converse had three major divisions. They had footwear, which, you know, we all associate Mm -hmm. with Converse. They had sporting goods. So this would be stuff beyond shoes, like hockey pucks and some other sporting equipment. A lot of it having, you know, rubber components Mm -hmm. because, again, that's how this company started out. And then the third was industrial products, like industrial boots that kind of stuff. Which are still technically footwear. Yeah, but it was part under, you, you wouldn't go to like a foot locker and say, can I take a look True. at your, your electrician's boots? True. But uh, yeah, so they, they had stuff like teeth guards and they had all these other things. So, so the new owners of Converse kept that going. Uh, and the new owners, it was like another company. And this company was called the Ultra Corporation. So under the Ultra Corporation, Converse was still eking stuff out. Uh, in 1974, they came out with the One Star, mm-hmm. which doesn't have the little circle Chuck Taylor. 
right. just has a single star on it. Yep. And then 1975, I guess with all of these sporting goods and industrial products, they came out with a ski boot. <laughs> and now get ready, folks. Because here comes some more. Follow the lady. like uh, The bouncing basketball in and out of Brinkdom. Yeah. And hey, do you know who owns Converse today? It's we're getting into that. Realm. Oh, I know who owns them today. Well, I'm, but we're not there yet. No, I mean as we're going year to year. Okay. So in the late seventies, uh, all the competition from these upstart companies like Nike and Puma is really starting to take its toll. So the company began to sell off some of its assets. In 1979, the Allied Corporation acquired the Eltra Corporation. So now you had a new grand lord over you. <laughs> The, you know, Ultra Corporation was now a subsidiary of Allied Corporation. And so Converse had new owners again. And they did until 1982. So Converse was actually doing pretty well at that point, despite all the competition. They were selling about 12 million pairs of shoes a year. However, in 82, the executives over at Allied Corporation said, we don't really feel like we belong in the consumer marketplace. So we're going to cut all of our divisions that make consumer products. That's not where we want to put our focus. Well, that's Converse. You know, Converse is selling shoes to the common man, not to, you know, IBM. Yeah. Which would have been weird anyway, but... (laughs) I mean, the computer that wore tennis shoes, John. Oh my gosh, a Kurt Russell reference. A Disney live-action film. If I'm curious if any of our listeners are familiar with the computer that wore tennis shoes. I'm sure at least one will be. Perhaps. So they decided to put Converse up for sale. And then you had a group of senior executives who were at Converse, some of whom had come from the Ultra Corporation side. And they got together and they were able to spin off Converse into its own privately operated entity. Uh, That was spearheaded by Richard B. Loind and John P. O'Neill, They bought the company for about $100 million. And in 83, they would take the company public and shares would begin to sell on the NASDAQ stock exchange. In the early 1980s, Converse ended up investing in an enormous research and development lab. They had 70 researchers working in biomechanical footwear projects. And they even had robots I just like the idea of like maybe a whole bunch of robots that are just legs with feet. Wearing Converse mm-hmm. shoes, just stomping up and down. Makes me think of Willy Wonka. But anyway, yeah. uh, in 1986, a company called Interco International acquired Converse. So ownership changes yet again. Uh, <sighs> Standard & Poor's was not super impressed with Interco. They actually had put the company on credit watch. But Converse was still doing well as a independent division of this company. It's just that the parent company's future was what was questionable at that point. Well. They weren't doing that well for very much longer because by 1988, Nike and Reebok had taken the majority of the market share from Converse. All of these companies weren't focused on furthering Converse as a athletic and casual shoe brands. Right. To them, it was another asset that they owned, but it wasn't... It wasn't their priority. Exactly. The shoe business was not their primary focus, whereas... For these competitors, that was their business. Yes. So they were able to really capitalize on that. Now, Converse did have a brief resurgence in the 90s because even though they weren't the best basketball shoe anymore, now they're appealing to like counterculture folks. So like rebels and grunge and punk rockers. Yeah, there's a famous uh, picture of Kurt Cobain wearing his Chuck Taylors. Mm -hmm. It became sort of a, a clothing item for a certain section of the population Yeah, they start coming out in more colors and patterns and materials, 
we even get a knee-high version. I used to want to own a pair of knee-high Converse so bad. I didn't know that such a thing existed. I knew that, uh, so I'm a, I'm a Ramones fan. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Tommy Ramone at one point was asked about Chuck Taylor because all the Ramones were wearing Converse. Converse. And he says, I think he might have been a basketball coach or something. All I know is he makes cheap shoes. Oh, like, that's oh, one, so two, three, sad. Four. Well, this, this resurgence got them back to 7% of the retail shoe market, but only for about 10 years. By the 2000s, they were back down to 1% of the market. Yeah, they were having real issues. There had been a lack of investment in Converse for too long at this point. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to play catch up, but they didn't have the resources necessary to really do that. Because they were behind, they didn't have the budgets for marketing and the budgets to sign athletes. The other shoe companies did. In 1992, Magic Johnson, who was signed as a Converse ambassador, actually said, quote, Converse as a company is stuck in the 60s and 70s. They think the Chuck Taylor days are still here. Mm. He kind of, at that time, ended his career. At least his his career with Converse. Yes. There were actually a couple of different problems along with his uh, relationship with the company. There were times where Converse was preparing litigation because they were saying that he was not living up to his side of the agreement. Yeah. This was not a great time for the company in in the public relations world. They do try to get back into the basketball shoe arena with a weapon basketball shoe and the HE-01, which looks more like a traditional sneaker. Mm -hmm. But at this point, they're playing catch up. They're just trying to do what the other companies have been doing for a while. Yes. And then in 1992, Interco filed for Chapter 11 protection. Standard & Poor's was proven correct. And two years after that, Converse would spin off yet again, and it would tried to regain kind of its <laughs> its footing. Oh. I didn't mean it. You did. No. I know you did. So Converse had been acquired by all these different companies and kind of bought and traded around. But now, in 1995, they decide to acquire a company themselves. They, they take on Apex One, which puts them in a lot of debt. Yeah, and not only that, but Apex itself did not have the best reputation for making orders on time. No. And so they still had that issue when Converse acquired them. And so not only did the company acquire debt in trying to buy this other company, they acquired the anchor around the neck mm-hmm. of Apex where there was they had to figure out how do we fix this problem that exists in this company we've just acquired. And so by 2000, Converse had $226.2 million worth of debt. Yikes. Including... In theory, a $400,000 contract to Dennis Rodman. Mm. And they only had $201.1 million worth of assets. So if I'm doing my math correctly, they had more debt than they had assets. Mm -hmm. And Mm. they they were supposed to do a $25 million financing, and they couldn't even make that. Yeah, their stock dropped all the way down to 50 cents. You could buy two shares of Converse for a dollar. Which is really sad because at the beginning of 1997, it was $27 a share. So this leads to its second bankruptcy. The first one had been way back shortly after its founding, back in the the late 20s. And now in 2001, it came time to do it again. As a part of their bankruptcy and their restructuring, they handed over all of their U.S. sales and marketing of their product to a third-party company and decided they were just going to become a licensing company. They were going to license the shoes out and survive on getting those licensing fees. 
And one of the companies that they wanted to buy their licensing was Global Brand Marketing, Inc., who did diesel shoes. Oh, okay. They, they right. licensed diesel shoes. So kind of a, a good idea there. Some people were saying that the reason, the timing for the filing for bankruptcy was all about um, they wanted to make sure that they could handle the creditors, right? That they mm-hmm. didn't want to just close down shop because if they did, they'd still owe the creditors money. They wouldn't have any protection against that. Yeah. So this was kind of a, a long shot for the the company to remain at least in name still a company yes. and not have creditors come banging on everyone's doors. Yeah. By 2002, their sales were only up to $205 million. Yep. And as I wrote in my notes, and these are puns that I made on purpose, things were looking pretty grim for a company that had its toes stepped on so many times over the years, but a rescue was just around the corner. And we'll get to that after we take a brief moment to thank our sponsor. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. All right, so... Second round of bankruptcy for Converse. This time, it looks really bad. They're going to make a move to being just a a, a licensor. They're going to license out the Converse brand to any company that can afford to pay the license. Mm -hmm. They're doing their best to stave off the creditors. They need a knight in shining armor to come to their rescue. And one did in uh, just a couple of years, but... In between that, they still had a couple of other things that they were trying to do just to stay afloat. Yeah, they moved all of their manufacturing to Asia, which shut down their manufacturing plants 
in the States, in North Carolina, Texas. And also in Mexico. And also in Mexico. They were looking to cut prices or cut costs even to the point where they were shutting down their Mexico manufacturing plant. And they dropped their workforce from 1,200 people to 200 people. Ugh. Then And they also sold all their non-footwear licensing to another company, one that was in Japan for somewhere in the $20 million range. And then in 2003, we get the knight in shining armor. Except it's not really armor. It's a knight in shining Nikes. Knight in shining Nikes. They swooshed right in. Yes, they did. Uh, Very good. Yay. And they bought Converse for $305 million. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, Converse's annual revenue was $100 million less than the price that Nike was paying for them. And it was a company that was still obviously dealing with creditors. Mm -hmm. But Nike saw all the value in that brand. And uh, while you could worry about consolidation when you're talking about two major brands in the athletic shoe space, mm-hmm. if, without Nike, there's pretty much no doubt that Converse would have ceased to exist over at some point. Yes, certainly, certainly, because they had enough money to make it through the restructuring and through the bankruptcy, but not necessarily to continue on and regain the ground. Mm-hmm. But Nike focused on keeping them a casual shoe and a a shoe of creative expression. So instead of appealing to sports enthusiasts, they're trying to appeal to artists and kind of that counterculture that had picked up Converse a while back. Yeah. Now they were kind of focusing on a lot of pop culture as well. It's also a lot of nostalgia, like, you know, the sort of thing where every 20 years or so you see that the younger generation start to adopt stuff from previous generations. Yes. So they were really trading on that as well. Yeah, they had fashion brands and icons and designers come and make like special edition Converse and very expensive Converse. They even had a high-heeled option at one point. (laughs) Wow. And uh, then you get the connectivity campaign that was launched in 2008. That was another marketing campaign. So... You know, Chuck Taylor's long gone at this point, but this mm-hmm. was a real push to kind of regain that place in, in pop culture and people's minds. Yeah, and they were really smart about it, too. So the campaign spread across 75 countries, and they made sure to use celebrities specific to each global region to help push this marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. So instead of, like, using Chuck Taylor over the entire globe, they were trying to keep their spokespeople relevant to whoever was seeing the marketing. And it worked because it caused a 29% increase in year-over-year revenue. Yeah, and these days, they're not doing so shabby. Like, Mm -hmm. for a company that was, again, on the brink of total disaster, Nike was really able to help coax Converse back to new heights. Yeah. Unprecedented heights for the company. By 2012, they were making $1.4 billion in sales. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. It is. And 60% of all Americans claim to have owned or either currently own a pair of Chuck Taylors at the time. You would say that they've definitely changed kind of their uh, marketing approach. Like mm-hmm. back in the day, it was all about a basketball shoe, which some people would wear as sort of a casual shoe. Now they're targeting that sort of casual market from the get-go. Yeah. Not, not as this is an athletic shoe that you can also just wear around, but that this is a shoe designed for you to wear day-to-day but it's a little nicer than just a plain yeah. old sneaker. It's a little, yeah, it's, it's it's smart casual. And they were trying to appeal to, I guess I would say more of a millennial crowd. Their their marketing idea was brand made for and inspired by artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and millennials have been known to 
like more of an experience, more of an original thing. So if you're going to buy a Converse, the ability to have something unique in this well-known brand is appealing. Yeah. And they have had, you know, a couple of more fumbles throughout the years between 2012 and now. Uh, Like in 2014, Nike sued a bunch of companies for making knockoff Converse Mm -hmm. and stealing their trademark. And in 2017, they had a, a drop in sales because they believe the market was oversaturated with shoes. I see a note here about the greatest recording artist of all time and Converse. I want to hear about this 2018 story. Oh, so Miley Cyrus is working with Converse to make a shoe as they have partnered with many artists. And this one is a black and pink platform Converse shoe. I'll be sporting that by 2019. Uh, You better, or I'll be highly disappointed, Jonathan. Listen, when, when Miley Cyrus comes to the office, because I'm sure she will. She'll be impressed. They'll be kicking it in some Miley Cyrus version Converse. That'll probably be killing my feet. Better the platforms than the high heels. Yes. I mean, I can't. Heels do make my, never mind. Yeah, I, I, I think platforms better than heels. Yes. That's all we've got on the subject. Yes. So we got to bounce. Yeah, nice, nice. But it, this was really fascinating because... I, I had never looked into the corporate history yeah. of Converse. I had no idea that the company had changed hands so many times. And trust me, I've been there. It says a lot when a company can go through that many changes in management and still maintain a sense of cohesion. It yes. is really hard to do. The fact that Converse was able to survive all of that says a lot about how they were able to create a vision in the minds of the consumer and make good on that to the point where I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to imagine a world that didn't have Converse in it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of always took it for granted. I'm yeah. just like, this is a shoe that's always been around and will always be around and will always be popular. So I think when we look at different stories and we try and kind of put our finger on what was the the key component of that Brink story. For this one, I would say that it was really the marketing. It was the fact that Converse was able to sell this idea and back it up. Like, it's not just that they sold an idea. They were able to create a shoe that met the expectations of people long enough for them to really establish themselves. Yes. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Brink. We're going to be talking about all sorts of companies in the near future. But if you guys have any specific questions or maybe there's a company or an entrepreneur that you think really merits discussion and uh, a deep dive, then by all means, you should reach out to us. Yeah, and you can do so at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. And our website is thebrinkpodcast.show. You can go there and listen to older episodes and learn all about us as well as the other ways to contact us. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And uh, until next time, I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I've been Ariel Kasten. Bye.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.